Jonah chapter 2 this morning as the goal is to get through chapter 2 we will just kind of make our way through the through the passage here kind of had a difficult time outlining this for you and trying to figure out how to how to present the information there's a lot of really fascinating little pieces in this chapter and up until a couple of days ago, it was just a jumbled mess of information, that, and I thought uh, a shotgun approach probably wouldn't be very helpful, so I did my best to, to put it in some sort of logical um, order. But we're looking at the the, chap- the chapter here of Jonah being in the whale. Uh, I said last week, you know, there, there's really only one verse that really kind of captures the idea of Jonah in the whale. I think uh, someone mentioned down in Sunday school, this is the first Jaws uh, and this is uh, Jaws plagiarized the story of Jonah, and uh, they just added a couple more gory details. But uh, can you imagine what that must have been like inside uh, Jonah? How many of you ever seen the movie Pinocchio? How many of you saw the Disney version of Pinocchio? Okay, that's not Jonah, okay? There was no sunken ship inside the whale, and, uh, Pino- and uh, Jonah is sitting in there playing cards with a cat and a goldfish and, uh, you know, lighting a fire and all that stuff. Um, there, there's, um, we're not really going to dive into all this information i've looked at um i've read some stuff just trying to find some facts on jonah and the whale and 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 over just over my uh course of my life just trying to figure out what it could be and sometimes uh even the the new testament calls it a a uh, uh let's see the, the verse 17 calls it a fish and then jesus said it was a whale and so uh, people who would argue uh the inerrancy of scripture would say well you don't know, see there it's, it's full of holes right there i mean a whale's not a fish right and uh, no whale could uh, could swallow a man whole and all that. So uh, I kind of pre- prefer uh, to, I kind of tend to believe there's, uh, you know what a whale shark is? How many, ever, how many know what a whale shark is? It's the biggest one, one of the biggest ones there. And that has swallowed people before. In fact, that's, I was reading, that's in some uh, cultures, that's how they catch them. They swim through the mouth with a hook and they swim out the gill. And uh, But I, if, I, I, if I believe all the other uh, amazing things that God has done in the Bible, I have no trouble believing that God made a fish that, uh, is, uh, that could swallow a man and keep him in there for three days and then puke him out. Uh, but can you imagine what that must have been like to live inside of a whale, to live inside of a living thing for three days and three nights, and how that must have the acid within it, you know, the stomach uh, just you know, tearing apart, his, you know, bleaching his skin and and uh, he must have looked the sight when he came when he came uh, up on shore and walking back. Who's this crazy guy? Uh, it looks like he's been eaten alive. Well, he was eaten alive, and uh, he was puked alive. And uh, I remember hearing sermons like this: uh, "Be a vomit chunk for Jesus," and uh, doing all these types of things. And this is this is Jonah. We're not going there this morning, but uh, the entire the entire book of Jonah is about mercy. Yeah, and I explained this a couple of times. And the more I dive into Jonah, the more I see God's mercy. And this chapter in particular is what we're going to look at, this, the, the fact that Jonah ran from mercy. He didn't, it, it's, it's, it boggles the mind, at least mine, that Jonah would run away from God's mercy. I used to think that uh, the whale was God's punishment. You know, Jonah, hey, you disobey, God's going to send a whale after you and he's going to swallow you. But but if we think about what God was doing, and as we see the entire story, um, what I hope to, to explain a little bit this morning is that God did not send a whale as a punishment. Uh, God needed a way to get Jonah back to dry land. 
And uh, Jonah, uh, whether or not it was Jonah's idea or later we'll see in chapter two, Jonah says that God is uh, responsible for casting him out into the sea. Uh, God needed some type of transportation. He wasn't going to swim back. And so he uh, he had to get him back to dry land. And so God used uh, the best method available. And uh, he traveled first submarine and he gets under he gets underway to, to obedience via the whale. So the whale is an act is actually an act of mercy rather than an act of punishment. But so I want to I want to focus in on that. But really look at this whale as an act of mercy, uh, the whale as a second chance and then uh, compound that because chapter two is a prayer that Jonah that Jonah prays inside the whale. Don't know exactly what day he prayed it on day one, day two, day three. Uh, doesn't doesn't really matter, uh, but uh, we're going to look at that and, and and try to get a glimpse of of Jonah's life inside the whale, because this is finally what broke Jonah. Uh, we saw in the past, in the past few weeks how God brought things into his life to try to get him to stop running, to get him to turn around, to get him to uh, repent, and it, nothing got Jonah like the whale did, and this was. This was uh, the, the straw, if you will, that, that finally broke Jonah's back and got him. He didn't really have a heart transformation. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, but we, he did o- agree to stop running from God. And so let's just jump right into the, uh, the, the, I really only have two main points, if you will, but let's just jump right in. We see the, the first, the first thing we're going to look at here is Jonah running from mercy. We see that in uh, chapter number, uh, chapter two and verse number one. That first, that first phrase there, the first three words of the verse, then Jonah prayed. Well, when is that? When did that happen? Inside the whale. That's when Jonah prayed. Some time ago I had made a list, and I'm gonna, we'll go through it here, of when Jonah should have prayed. You know, it's great that he finally did pray, but I wonder how necessary the whale could have, uh, was. Did it really have to get that far? Did he really have to get swallowed by a whale? Was God looking for one of those really wow stories to put into his word? And so he orchestrated it. I think that if Jonah would have, you know, the first time God slapped him in the face said, hey, Jonah, you're, you're disobeying. He said, oh, you're right, Lord. And he, and he, and he repented. I don't, I don't think we would have had this story. But we see Jonah just compounding his problems, running away. We looked at the very first week. God said, I want you to walk east. And Jonah said, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to run west. And he takes off across the Mediterranean Sea on his way to Spain. Don't know how far he got, but they got far enough that they couldn't just go back to shore. And here comes a big giant storm at the end of chapter one, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And these sailors don't know what is going to fix it. They have abandoned the profitability of this voyage. They've dumped everything overboard. Now they're just trying to save their lives and nothing gets, nothing helps. It just makes the ship uh, it makes it makes everything worse. Every time they try something, they're praying to their gods and it's just getting worse. And several times, if you looked in chapter one, it says, you know, that the sea began, you know, continues to get uh, tempestuous. The sea wrought against them and was tempestuous against them. Finally, Jonah acknowledges it was me. Well, first of all, they uh, they uh, they they draw straws and Jonah is like, they're like, you must be responsible. And then Jonah has to admit and he confesses his sin. And, uh, and they said, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get rid of this? Uh, we're di- we're going to die here. And Jonah says, well, the only thing that you can do is throw me overboard. I don't know if that was really God, what God wanted him to do. I, I wonder if Jonah would have just stopped right there and there and said, all right, Lord, you got my attention. If God would have said, okay, all right, head back. Head back to, to, to Joppa. Head back to Nineveh. 
But he didn't. He said, uh, well, then, okay, you got to throw me overboard. That's the only way you're going to, you got to remove me. I'm your problem. And so they, they didn't even want to do it. Uh, they had more sense than Jonah did. And, and I, and in a way, I kind of think that Jonah was trying to take the easy way out. It's like, well, you know, kill me. I still don't have to go to Nineveh, God. And I didn't really want to die today, but I, I, I don't want to go to Nineveh even more. So go ahead and just kill me, God, and uh, see if you can get your will done that way. And uh, God has a way of still getting what he wants, right? Is that, you think you're going to drown? No, I've got a, I've got a lifeboat. And it swims underwater, and it's going to swallow you for a while. And it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be a cruise. It's not going to be a, a happy thing. You're going to, in fact, you're going to probably uh, wear the effects of uh, living inside of a whale for the rest of your life. And that this is this is the Jonas this is the Jonah story that we know so well. But I so I, I began to, you know, I looked through this at, at the idea of you know when should have Jonah prayed? If we were to read this, and when we as we read through chapter two. We see that it's one of, he's thanking God for answering a previous prayer. Let me just show you uh, a couple of examples. If you look in verse number two, it says, and, and, and said, I cried. So he's talking about something that happened in the past. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. So he's praising God for answering some other prayer that he had prayed. So maybe this was a prayer on day three that he said, that he, that he prayed. And maybe he's referring to the prayer of day one. I don't know. But what, whenever it happened inside the whale, we know it was a bit too late. Uh, and it was almost too late. Uh, and, and he, you know, maybe God would have let him die in there. Or maybe God would have kept him in there for a couple of weeks. And, you know, what did he eat for three days? Well, whatever the whale was eating. <laughs> and, that, you know, that, that's, that didn't sound appetizing. Uh, you know, he, he just was awful. And uh, so let's just, let's just jump in. Let me, let me show you a couple of times that I think that Jonah should have prayed. Because we're going to apply this to our own lives as we find ourselves often running for mercy, or as you see in your notes there, using mercy as a last resort. When God wants to get our attention with a small reproof, a small, um, if you will, a small smack on the hand rather than a paddle on the butt or, uh, you know, thrown in jail or whatever you may, God says, I want to get your attention with the smallest punishment possible, but I'm willing to increase it if you don't listen. So when should have Jonah prayed? Let me go, let's go all the way back to chapter one and verse number three, and let's look at the first place. The first place Jonah should have prayed is at the first realization of disobedience. When he first realized, I'm not doing what God told me to do, verse number three, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. We saw that. It's about a 60, 70 mile journey from where he was, where his hometown was in Gath Hefer unto this place called Joppa, which is a modern day Tel Aviv. 60 miles. How many times did the Spirit of God come to Jonah and say, Hey, Jonah, you're going the wrong way. Jonah, you're disobeying. Jonah, I'm warning you. This is God. One, two, Jonah. Uh, he's about to run out of, he's about to run out of warnings because, uh, God is about to, uh, drop the hammer on him, and he does several times up until that. But he should have should have prayed at the first realization of disobedience. Remember the story of Balaam. Remember Balaam traveling to uh, go with Balak to uh, curse God's people, and he's riding his donkey, and all of a sudden his donkey, you know, kind of goes off the path, and uh, he's man, stupid donkey, and he and he and he beats him, and then later on he gets him back on the path, and then it crushes his uh, his foot against. Uh, the, the mountainside there, he's probably, you know, I imagine they're traveling on some kind of cliff and the donkey crushes his foot against the, the and he's mad and he, and he starts beating that donkey and then the horse talks back to him, why are you hitting me? And, uh, you know, what's amazing is that uh, he just talks back like this is normal. I talk to talking horses all the time. And he says, I'm, I'm beating you because you hurt my foot. And he said, 
Well, I'm just trying to save your life because God had put an angel in the way with a sword. And and that donkey knew uh, if I keep going the way my master wants me to go, he's going to die. And so uh, God was God was about fed up with him and and he used a donkey to get a hold of Balaam. Why didn't you know, I wonder if if, why didn't God do something like that? And and, and out of his mercy, he's, he's going to use different animals in different circumstances but God gave Jonah space to repent. If you want to write it down and look in your notes later, Revelation 2.21, God talks about giving space to repent. God doesn't always drop the hammer right away. Uh, he, his, the, the, it's been said, you know, the wheels of God's justice grind slowly, but they grind surely. And God gives us those chances uh, to repent. He, he doesn't, you disobey, boom, you're dead. Send you to hell. He gave us a chance to repent, doesn't he? He gave us an entire lifetime to repent and turn back to God. Uh, and and, and I, I, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us in this room said no the first time we heard about the gospel. And many of us maybe said no several times before God finally broke us down and we said, okay, yes, I need salvation. I need to be saved. But I, I know many stories and many people who the first time they were presented with the gift of God, of the, of, of the gift of God, the eternal life, and they said, no, I don't want it. And they run away from it. And they run away from God's mercy. We'll look at that a little bit more closely in depth. But Jonah should have uh, prayed at the first realization of disobedience. Number two, we look in verse six. Jonah should have prayed at the first sign of trouble. Verse number six, so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. They're in the middle of a storm here and Jonah's sleeping through it. He didn't know that there's anything going on. He had the peace. You know, that peace that we have that, oh, well, I must be in God's will because I have peace about it. Well, Jonah had peace and he, he wasn't in God's will. He was running from God and yet he had peace enough to go to sleep in a storm. And yet he has to be uh, shaken and woke up by this shipmaster and said, hey, we are going to die. We need your help. And uh, Jonah should have been, all right, God's trying to get my attention. I think that the entire time Jonah knew, yep, this is my fault. But he's just trying to, as we looked at last week, trying to wait it out, trying to ride out the storm. And, 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 and God says, you can try, but it's only going to get worse. Uh, I command the winds and the waves, and I can make your life a, a nightmare, Jonah. And I'm going to affect the lives of a bunch of other people uh, to get your attention. I care about you that much. He should have prayed at the first sign of trouble when other people's lives were at stake because of him. When an unsaved sailor suggested he pray, when he first realized he was in trouble. Number three, he should have prayed. Verse number seven, at the first exposure of his sin. Verse number seven, and they said everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. We looked at that a little bit last week, but basically they said, well, we don't know why you're, why you're being punished and why you're the reason, but we have an idea that you're the reason and it's exposed. It's that guy's fault. It's the new guy's fault. Uh, and they begin to interrogate him and ask him what's going on. Jonah should have prayed right then and there as a, I've been caught. You know, the Bible tells us, be sure your sins will find you out. Uh, when, when you're finally exposed, how, how many of you as a kid, you were told not to go in the cookie jar? But you did, and you got cookie all over right here, and mom and dad come and they catch you. Where are you in the cookie jar? You know, you're caught red-handed, right? You've been caught red-handed. That's the time to say, okay, yeah, you're right. But what do we do? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and we try to hide it. We try to make up some excuse. I don't know how all the cookie got on my face. I just didn't take a bath last night, mom, or whatever the case may be. And we're caught in our sin, and it's a great time to just, all right, busted. But we run. We continue to run. We continue to uh, try to hide it. Jonah should have prayed at the first exposure of his sin when sailors realized it was his fault. 
And when he even admitted the storm is my fault, but he admitted it to the sailors and not to God. Number, number next, we see that Jonah should have prayed when the first prayer was made for him. I wonder if there's people here this morning that you've run from God before and you knew that people were praying for you. Isn't that convicting when you know someone's praying for me to get right? Someone's praying for me to turn my life around. And Jonah had this, and we see it in verse number 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and let us lay not upon us this innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. They're praying to the true God now. These don't these aren't even Christian guys. And they're praying to to to, to Jehovah God, saying, We we know that this is one of your prophets, and we know that he's running from you, and he just told us we need to throw him overboard. Please don't hold us, you know, hold us accountable for what he told us to do. They're praying for this man. They're praying for the storm to stop. God, would you please let us, for our sakes, would you let us go? It's kind of like the exact opposite of, of, of uh, Abraham going to Sodom. God, would you save, would you save the city for ten? And, and I imagine these guys going, God, it's just why. I mean, would you, would you please spare us? And no. No, I, I'm trying to get that guy's attention. I'm, I'm doing whatever's necessary to get this guy's attention. Jonah should have prayed when he realized other people had gotten in, involved praying for him. And lastly, Jonah should have prayed at the first sign of calm. I think this is incredible. See in verse 15. So they took up Jonah. They cast him forth into the, into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. Right then and there, boom, just stopped. Have you ever been out in the water? Uh, it doesn't calm down suddenly. It kind of goes down, you know, si- uh, slowly. Those waves. I mean, you don't stop waves. God does. Can you imagine being one of those sailors on that boat? Watching, I mean, the ship's doing this and the waves are coming over and it's, and I always imagine it being dark and, and the lightning and all those things. And as soon as Jonah splashes into the water, it's like a beautiful day out on the lake. That's got the sailor's attention. If you read on verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They're more terrified of the calm than they were of the storm. Because they realize, wow, God is really intervening in this guy's life. God is really making his power known, trying to get a hold of this guy. And it says they offered a sacrifice in the Lord. They made vows. God uh, used someone's storm to get a hold of other people's lives. But Jonah didn't pray during this time. I don't know how long it took from verse 16 uh, or from verse 15 to verse 17, you know, that God prepared a fish and, and here comes the fish. I wonder if it was uh, uh, long enough for Jonah to realize Jonah's treading water. You know, I, I'm not a very good treader of water. I hope Jonah knew how to swim. And Jonah's like, okay, all right. Well, maybe maybe he's entertaining thoughts of, well, now you can pull me back, throw me a lifeboat, throw me a life ring, uh, send me a rope, something, and let's get this back. And then, dun, 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 you know, the heavenly the heavenly choir singing the Jaws theme. And uh, the, and then, and I don't know if, if the, this this fish had a dorsal fin, but that would, that would just added to the drama of it. And so uh, here, here it comes, and he's swimming around, or maybe it bumps his leg. Those of you who, who, who are old enough, you watched Jaws come out. You remember, remember the first time you watched Jaws? And then the first time you went swimming after the first time you watched Jaws? It doesn't matter if you were in a kiddie pool. You're thinking about it, you know? And, uh, and, and, and it just, it just, it messes with your mind and something bumps your leg. What was that? You know? We went swimming at the reservoir, um, and we went kayaking and I went swimming in the reservoir and, uh, I was sitting on the shore and something bumped my leg and I was like, eh, what is, you know? 
you know, okay. And, you know, down in, down in Florida, you know, all those things, you know, the, the, the alligators and all those things that, that are down there. I don't, I don't want any part of that. And, and I can't see underneath there. I don't, I'm not, I'm not on top of the food chain and all of a sudden it bumps my leg or swallows him up. And, and, uh, you know, the, these, this, this, it must have been an incredible thing to see. I, I, I happen to, I want to think that it happened above the water so these sailors could see. Wow. You know, can you imagine saying that? Whoa, I haven't seen that one before. Uh, what do we do now? You know, now let's keep going, I guess, you know, just whatever. And imagine the story that they must have told you guys never, never believe. We were out there. It was a big, big storm. We threw this guy overboard. A whale came and swallowed the dude. He's gone. They're like, no, no, no. He's in Nineveh. We just saw him. You're like, what? You know, I wonder if they met up again. Like, what was it like? You know, tell us what it was like. I want to ask Jonah. I want to know, Jonah, what was it like in three days inside the belly of the whale? Why, why did you make, wait for it to get that far? Why did Jonah, we see all these opportunities, four or five opportunities here that Jonah had to repent, that Jonah had to receive mercy from God, and Jonah says, stubborn, cross my arm. No way, God. You can't break me. You can't, you can't get through to me. And God says, well, actually, I can, and it's just going to get a little bit more painful for you, and I'm going to turn it up a little bit higher. I'm going to turn it up a little bit higher. And finally, somewhere in the belly of the whale, we get to verse number one, then Jonah prayed. Why do we wait that long? Why do we wait until we've hit rock bottom? Jonah literally hit rock bottom to pray. Why do we wait to turn to God when our life has completely fallen apart? When every other option has been tried and found to fail and we've got no other resource, we've got, we've run through plan A all the way to plan Z. Okay, I guess I'll pray. Why isn't that our first response? Especially as Christians, especially as God's people. And we see one of God's prophets trying to ride out and finally he prays and wait until the whole house is engulfed in flames. Waiting until the, the 11th hour and 59 minutes. Okay, I guess I'll pray. Here's when Jonah prayed. Let me show you three really incredible statements about Jonah's prayer. We're, we're, uh, we're in chapter 2 now. Look in verse number 2 and you see the first one. He says, I cried by reason of my affliction. Why are you praying? Because of my affliction. Jonah, why have you finally broke down? Because it just got too much. I just couldn't hold it any longer. And so I guess I, I guess I'll pray. It sounds like someone who is backslidden, not the, not what you would expect to hear from a preacher, not what you'd expect to hear from the man of God. This is the guy that, that sounds like that's been running from God all of his life and God finally got a hold of him. And he says, why did you pray? And he says, well, because hurt too much. I finally gave in. I cried uncle. I cried for mercy, if you will. You know that mercy game? You know that mercy you hold people's hands down and you twist them up? My dad used to play that with me and he had he had big fat fingers and he used to put his hands in mine and he wouldn't even do anything. He'd just wiggle his fingers like this. And it just, I'd just drop to my knees. And then uh, one day, I remember it like it was yesterday, and uh, he's like, let's play mercy, Tim. And so he, you know, I put him up there and he tries this thing and I'm just standing there. I'm like, don't hurt no more now. You know, I got man fingers now, and and uh, then he stopped playing mercy with me after that. Uh, but uh, and then now I do that to other kids, and 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 uh, you know, and uh, feel tough, you know, picking on little ones. But uh, the the uh, the idea of crying mercy when when it hurts too much, and I just don't think I can handle it anymore. 
I have a high tolerance to pain. Not God's pain. He will get you when he wants you. Then we look at the second phrase here in verse number two as well. He says, out of the belly of hell cried I. He felt like, this is it. I am done. Now, the, 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 the word hell there, Jonah didn't literally go to hell. It's talking about the, 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 the grave. It's talking about death there. And it's, it's the word sheol, which means the grave. Jesus would later liken his death and burial to Jonah. In, if you want to look in Matthew 12, 40 sometime, you can read through that. And Jesus likened what he was about to go through to Jonah being in, in hell, if you will, uh, but, but dying. But Jonah felt like, I've got nowhere else to go. This is the end. That's what death is, right? Death is the dead end. That's the last thing. You don't do anything. What are you going to do after you die? Well, that's, that's it. That's the only thing you do. Uh, and, then, and spiritually, yeah, your, your, your soul goes to heaven, but I'm talking about your body. This life is done. That's the last thing a person does in this life. That's how it officially concludes it. And Jonah's like, I guess I've reached the end. I believe Jonah, for at least a while, in that belly of the whale, thought, this is the end. But day one passed. <laughs> I guess it wasn't the end. I wonder at what point Jonah realized, all right, I think God's going to let me live here as long as, as long as it takes all right, I guess I'll pray. I have tried waiting it out. I've now reached the end. Why do we wait? And have you ever met someone that felt like that? Their life is just at the end. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, my life feels like hell on earth. Why do we wait until life feels like that before we come back to God and say, I need your mercy. God, I need your, I need your forgiveness. And that last one in verse number 7. He makes another incredible phrase. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. I remembered, oh yeah, it's almost like he's saying, oh yeah, I forgot I could pray about this. I've tried everything else. Oh yeah, there's prayer. When my soul fainted within me, when my life was slipping away, after I had lost all control, everything I could think of was done, and it was just Life is spinning out of control, and it's almost, I mean, I'm at the end of the rope, I've tied a knot, and then I've, and I'm now, I'm losing grips of that, and, you know, I'm clinging on, and it's just my fingernails now, and, okay, God, I'm sorry. Man, why do we wait for that long? Why? And because, and as I said, the very first week we look at Jonah, Jonah, I think, is one of the most relatable people in Scripture, because he did what we do all the time. He waited he ran from God. He thought he could outsmart, outrun, outlast God. And God says, not really. This is what Jonah lived through. I wrote this statement down. If we only view God as a fixer of our messes, he never actually has the chance to build anything. This is how we view life. God, leave me alone. Let me do my thing here. And we start trying to build our own life together and we keep messing up. And so finally, okay, it's mess. I can't fix it. God, would you fix it? And God starts to fix it. And then we get to that spot and say, okay, God, go away now. Let me, let me do my life again. Leave it, stay out of it. And we do our thing. You stop, stop trying to manage to do. And then it messes up again. We say, okay, God, will you fix this? Just like a little, little child. And all we want God to do is fix our life and get it back to, to what we, and then I can, okay, I've got it from here now. You ever had a little kid? Don't raise your hand because it's illegal. But have you ever had a little kid sit on your lap and, and drive? 
You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you did it, and you're, you know, it was out in the field, and, and it wasn't even a real automobile. I'm going to lay all the, the, the safety nets here for you. But, you know, and, 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 you know you're sitting there, and, and, and eventually it always happens. Every, every person has done it. It's sat on their father's lap driving. Let go of the wheel, you know, because I, I, you know, he's got the wheel, and I got the wheel because this is my car. I mean, this is important. And uh, they're like, let go. I've got it now myself. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but they're like, no, I can do it. So if you let go, what do they do? You steer it back, you get it back on life, and then they're doing it. Get back in. And because they think I can handle this, you're like, no, you can't. In fact, you can't even reach the pedals. I'm doing that right now. You know, but that's how we feel our life. I can run my life, God. I can do what I want to do, God. And I'll call you if I need you when it's all messed up, and then you can come back and fix it. But then leave and leave me alone and let me mess it up some more. I just need you to repair my life, not do anything else with my life. And if that's how we view God, He never actually gets to perform that work He wants to do in us because He's constantly getting us back to, 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 to ground level. It's that, it's that, the, 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 the image of the potter and the, and the, and the lump of clay. And we're that lump of clay and, and He's trying to make something from us. And then we start to, I want to do this myself and we mess it all up. And so He's got to, Start over again. And he gets it going. He's like, okay, okay, I can do it now. No, no. And we mess it up. And fortunately, God is a God of mercy. We looked at that week one. He loves mercy. He loves to forgive. And God is willing every time we come and confess, He is willing and faithful to forgive us our sins. But it doesn't always have to be that way. And it shouldn't always be that way. There ought to be a time when we say, okay, God, let's start making progress in life. And I need you to do that. I don't just need you to fix my life. I need you to make progress in my life as well. I want to show you what hopelessness feels like. Look, look at Jonah in the whale. Three words, three feelings that look like hopelessness because this is what Jonah felt like in the belly of the whale because Jonah had gotten himself in the deepest, darkest hole that anybody could ever get themselves in and now he cries unto the Lord, but this is what it felt like. This is what it feels like when we run from mercy. Look in verse number 3. He felt overwhelmed. It said, Thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. He was literally flooded over. He, he, but he felt like it's, it's just too much for me. I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to turn back to God. He, uh, in verse number five, he says the same thing. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. I mean, this is just choking me. It's just life is closing in on me and I just can't handle it anymore. Okay, God, now, now I'll give in. That's what hopelessness feels like. Look in verse number uh, three again. He felt forsaken. He said in verse number, uh, verse number three, thou cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas. Now, regardless of whether or not that's, that statement is true, that's how Jonah felt. God, Jonah said, God, you did this. Maybe God did or maybe he didn't, but he at least felt, God, you did this to me. Hmm, I wonder if it was any of the actions that you did that got you to this point, Jonah. I wonder if it was really uh, something more than God just picking you up out of his perfect will and throwing you into the belly of the, in the belly of the whale in the middle of the ocean. I wonder if you might have had something to do with this. No, God did this. Look in verse number Four, he says, uh, then said, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. 
God, you don't want anything done. God, you buried me in the bottom of the ocean. Uh, David said in, in, in one of the Psalms, he said, if I were to descend to the deepest parts of the sea, thou art with me. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I ascend into the mountains, you're there. Everywhere I go, God, your presence is there. Jonah felt the exact opposite because David was writing this psalm right with God. Jonah is writing this prayer uh, in the most backsliding condition. He's going, God, you have... You're done with me. You're finished with me. I'm dead. I'm dead meat. God, you've forsaken me. You've cast me off away from your sight. Look in verse number 6, the last thing. He felt like he was a prisoner. I went down to the bottoms of the oceans. The earth with her bars was about me forever. I just I felt like I, I was a prisoner. I was trapped. I wonder if there's anybody that feels like that this morning. You feel overwhelmed in life? You feel like you're a prisoner of your own life? Prisoner of your own decisions? prisoner of your own actions, maybe forsaken. God doesn't want me. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. God has allowed me to get into this deep, dark pit that I'm in. God has just left me to my own devices. Maybe God has brought you there so that he can, you know, the, the, the say, you know, you can't, when you haven't, when you've gone all the way to the bottom, the only way you can look is up. Think about the prodigal son. When did the prodigal son, the Bible says, come to himself? When he finally got to the pig pen, when he got to the lowest of the low, or the lowest of the low, then he said, you know what? My father's servants are doing better than I'm doing. And that's, but he, but he had to get there. It took him all the way there before he realized, all right, I need some help. I need, I need, I need to fix. I, God, I can't do this anymore. How often are we like that? Have we ever been there where we feel like I just, I have nothing else to do? That hopelessness, that's what drives people to end their own lives. Because they feel like there's nothing else I can do. And maybe that's why God has allowed you to get there. So you realize there's nothing else you can do. So we say, God, I need help. Save me. Would you please forgive me? I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need, I need a hand. God, I got myself into this. And maybe you orchestrated the events in my life to put me in this. We looked at the storm last week as a, it, what looks like punishment, but actually is mercy. We see the whale this week. It's, 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 it looks like punishment, but it's actually mercy. Maybe, yes, maybe God has allowed you to hit the rock that you're in. You say, I'm, I'm just, I've, I've hit the bottom. Maybe God lets you get there so that you'll look up and realize there's someone reaching down if you would only reach up. If there's someone who is willing and ready to answer the call of I'm sorry, there's someone who is always willing to forgive those who confess and those who seek mercy if we would only look up. It's never too late to repent. We'll see next week. Nineveh. They did not have the guarantee of mercy. Jonah did not have the guarantee of mercy. Uh, we, we, we read that, that, that as he read through that, he prayed for mercy when he wasn't guaranteed he would get it. Nineveh would do the same thing. And once again, we find Jonah here, the recipient of extravagant mercy. The man who didn't, who received it the least, received it the most. Or deserved it the least, received it the most. He spared, God spared Jonah, though there were extreme consequences. So let me say this, if you're still breathing, mercy is still available for you. You're sitting here right now calling, yeah, God is putting me through it. If you're still alive, you're still sucking wind right now, He is ready to hear your call. If you would only stop running and look up. And very quickly, look. I want, I want, this verse just kind of struck me from the very beginning. Verse number 8. 
This is forsaking mercy. Running from mercy, but then here forsaking mercy. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Here are people who have the opportunity for mercy. It's sitting there right in front of them, available to them. It's free. It's right there for the taking. And it says that they forsake it. They forfeit it. They abandon it. And they say, you know what? Nah. And they walk away. Why? It says they observe lying vanities. It's, it, that, those, those, that phraseology there, they cling to, they worship the things that are lying and empty. They're nothing. They are worthless. They're idols. They're, they're other gods. They are things that are, that are other than God. And those people who cling to those things are actually saying no to mercy. Why are they clinging to those other things? They're looking for mercy. They're looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They're looking for rescue. They're looking for some fulfillment, some purpose in life, someone to help them, someone to love them. But they're looking in every other place but the place where it's actually found. Think about it. My sin was not an offense to any other God but Him. My sin, did no one else had a problem with my sin except for God. I was the one, He was the one I sinned against. So He's the one who can offer mercy. I can't forgive you for something you didn't do to me. I can't forgive you for something that you did to someone else. So if I'm going to get mercy for the, the sin, the things that I've messed up in my life, I've got to go back to the person who can offer it. And God says, those who seek for it in other places, are really just forfeiting the right to have it. But it's there. You can have it if you want it. But you've got to come and ask for it from the right place. When we turn to other things for answers, like the sailors did, they worship their other gods, they're praying to the other gods during the storm, and it wouldn't work. Why? Because the problem wasn't with the other gods. The problem was with Jehovah God. We've got to go back to Him. We've got to make things right with the One who can give us the mercy. When we turn to other things for hope and rescue and answers, we abandon the only place and in fact the only person who gives those answers, who gives that hope and gives that rescue. I'm going to show you a verse. Psalm 145, verse 18. And this kind of ties up the entire message. You need mercy. You need grace? You need forgiveness? Are you ready to stop running? The Lord is nigh unto them. Call upon Him. Anybody who's ready, if you're still sucking wind this morning, you're still alive, your heart's still beating within you, it doesn't matter how far you've gone, doesn't matter how, uh, how, what direction you've gone in life, when you're ready to stop running, you're ready to turn back, He says, to all that call upon Him in truth. There's the, that's the phrase, there, that key phrase at the end there, in truth. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be in truth. But when we come back to God, He says, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm ready for it. God doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't say, well, you, you, you went too far. Never in the Bible have we ever seen somebody turn back to God and God said, nope, ain't doing it. Nope, you offended me. Not going to do it. Because God loves to give mercy. God loves to extend mercy to those who will only turn and say, God, I really messed up. God, I... And if you're like me, you come to Him all the time. God, I don't know why I keep doing this. 
I keep messing up. I keep finding myself in this position. I'm sorry, God. I'm, I'm trying. I really am. I kind of could expect you to forgive me the first time. But this is not even a second chance. This is not even a third chance. God, this is my fifth, sixth, seventh, hundredth time confessing this. I keep doing it, God. God says, I know. You're fortunate, though, because I love to give mercy. My mercy is renewed for you every morning. You thought you ran out? No, no, no. Just got a fresh supply. All you got to do is come and ask. Would you come and ask?